Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of John. My name is Jonathan Chan. I'm so glad that you can join me today as we continue our journey through the Gospel of John. Today, we will be exploring John chapter 13. Now, before we begin, customarily, we start off with a video clip. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the clip, and we'll be right back. Listen, I just wanted to say... that I'm really, 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 so sorry. Yeah. Woo. I did it. I don't even know why you bothered coming back. Well, welcome back. It's so hard to say sorry, especially when you have to mean it, and especially when you know that you're right and they're wrong. Why should I say sorry? When I know that I'm right and those perpetrators are wrong, when I know that I'm the victim and the perpetrator was actually them, why should I say sorry? When my friends, colleagues, family members, and best buddies agree that I was right and they were wrong, why should I say sorry first? Why should I be the one who's the first person to say sorry? Do you know what's even harder though? Not only to be the first person to say sorry, but the first person to forgive and also the first person to show kindness to the perpetrator, all at once, in one go. In other words, a genuine sorry. You're the first person to have a genuine sorry, to say the genuine sorry, to be the first person to show kindness, and to be the first person to show forgiveness all in one go. That's very difficult because, hey, I'm right. They're wrong. That's how the world should operate, right? They should actually get punished, not me. They should actually say sorry and ask for, for forgiveness from me. That's the norm. Today, as we embark on a very famous story where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, we are given one simple message from Jesus. If you claim to be his fo follower, if we claim to be his followers, eat some humble pie and follow him. Let's begin. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to be with the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Let's take a brief look at the sentence structure of the passage we just read. And right here at the corner, I'll do my best on the corner of the screen to give you an idea of how the Greek grammar should be read. Should be read. Before the feast of the Passover, right at the top. Before the feast of the, the feast of the Passover, 
Second, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, having loved his own and loved them to the end, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God. You follow? Put them all together. What did Jesus do? Rose from supper and became a servant. Let's try that again. First, before the feast of the Passover, and when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and having loved his own and loved them to the end, and during supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him, and knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and knowing that he had come from God and was going back to God, what did Jesus do in light of all these things? Rose from supper and became a servant. A very, very low servant. Why should why would John lay it out like this? First, the climactic statement, the statement that culminated all these phrases was, with all the above mentioned, John writes, Jesus made himself to be a very low servant. Now, let's work on each phrase briefly to see why the climactic statement is supposed to shock not only the disciples in Jesus' day, but also shock John's readers and us. Before the Feast of the Passover, Passover, my apologies. Man, I'm getting tongue-tied today. Before the Feast of the Passover, that was the first first statement made by John. Jesus made himself to be a very low servant. You see that? Before the Feast of the Passover, we had the, the climatic statement is, Jesus made himself to be a very low servant. We've already visited what goes on during Passover. We already know about the significance of the Passover. And we already know about Jesus identifying himself as the sacrificial lamb throughout the whole, all the chapters in John. So now combined with that, with the low servant, what images pop into our minds? For those who are familiar with the suffering servant passages in Isaiah chapter 40 to 55, We have images of the suffering servant and Messiah, who, through his wounds, his stripes, and his death, God's people will be healed and saved. That was in Isaiah chapters 40 to 55. This is still baffling for Jesus' followers, right? How can their hero, the one who was supposed to be their eternal king, to save them from their Roman enemies, how can he die in the hands of their enemies. But Jesus became a low servant for that purpose. As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Very baffling for those disciples and for those around him. Very, very baffling for us as readers. We sometimes think that Jesus is our ultimate hero, the one who will save us from, when, save us from calamity and low self-esteem and, or depression and anxiety or whatever. 
save us from our current plight. But he's not here to do that. He's here to save our lives from sin and provide us with eternal life. He is here to die for our sins. And so that is baffling for the disciples, baffling for uh, the readers of John, and it should baffle us as well. It should come as a shock or a reminder that it is a shock for Jesus, the King, to die for us. Okay, let's follow the next phrase. The next phrase is, having loved his own and loved them to the end, Jesus made himself to be a very low servant. Jesus showed his disciples and John's readers, including us today, what true love is. And I can't help but be reminded of a very famous passage in 1 John, which is usually read in weddings. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. True love is sacrificing ourselves our very being, our desires, our wants, our very sustenance for others. Submitting our interests and allowing the interests of others go before us. Why do we do this? Why do we define love that way? Because it hurts, isn't it? doesn't it? It's totally inconvenient. It means that our interests take second place and second seat after other people's interests. Why do we do that? Because Jesus defined love that way, and we follow him. More on this later, but doesn't this have a little bit of reference to the story when Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? And not only did Jesus define who our neighbors were, i.e. everyone, including those we don't like and including our enemies, but also provided us with an example of how we love our enemies. In other words, when it's totally inconvenient, when it's totally not the right time, when it totally hurts us financially because we have to show our love, practical love towards them, as when it's really about caring for those who we really don't like, sum that all up and you get true love. When clearly these folks are evil, When clearly these folks are liars, stealers, thieves, bullies, backstabbers, and betrayers to the point of having the devil in them, like Judas, Jesus still served them. Jesus still became a lowly servant and loved them. We need to do that as well. (laughs) Wait, what? That's right. We need to do that as well because we follow him. Next phrase. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, Jesus became a low servant. Again, Paul wrote this in his letter to the Philippians, right? We already visited that in in Philippians 2. But this should be a shock to us, a big shock to us. Think about it. Jesus knew that he had the power, he had the authority to to literally zap Judas Iscariot into dust before Judas even left the table. Judas was going to betray Jesus. Judas was going to report to the Pharisees, temple leaders, and temple and uh, teachers of the law that Jesus is in this room, and so come out and drag him over to and crucify him. Jesus knew all this. He had the power and the authority to zap Judas Iscariot into dust before Judas could be betray him. 
Jesus also had the authority of nature. He could have sent floods. He could have targeted only those who wanted to stone him and just get rid of them. All things were given into Jesus' hands by the Father. He could have did the Darth Vader thing and just strangled Caiaphas, Caiaphas without lifting a finger. But instead of doing that, Jesus became a low servant. Next phrase. Knowing that he had come from God and is now going back to God, Jesus became a low servant. Jesus even knew that he's not of this world. He's from God and he knows where he's going. He's not an earthly citizen. He belongs in God's kingdom and in God's reality. So for him to embody himself as a low servant, that's completely ridiculous. Again, Paul in Philippians said the same thing. Beyond all rationale, beyond all reasoning, Jesus emptied himself of his kingdom citizenship, emptied himself of divine authority and power, emptied himself of his entitlements and privileges, and became a servant. A low servant, so low that he was even obedient to death. Why? Because John says he loved his own so much till the very end. And he loves us so much till the very end. Okay, we should end there, right? It's shocking, but it also makes us feel very good, doesn't it? That to know that Jesus loves us. When we're down and out, when we feel unvalued or undervalued and insignificant, when we just feel that we have very low self-esteem, it's awesome to know that Jesus loved us so much that he died for us, right? And saved us from our stupidity and sin. Full stop. We should just end it right there. Move on, right? Live our lives as usual. But wait. John says there's more. John mentioned that Jesus loved his own to the very end. So, here's the question for you and I. How do you and I know we are his own? Let's move on. Verse 5. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. The most dirtiest part of the body for a person back then was their feet. They didn't wear Nikes. They wore sandals, open-toed ones too. And the roads were not paved. They were muddy. They were dirty, dusty. And sometimes, like even today, they may accidentally step on animal poop during their travels. I have full respect for those who provide pedicures and those who are podiatrists. Good on them to be able to provide care for our stinky, crusty, sometimes dry, covered with fungus feet. Jesus, after becoming a low servant, after dressing up as a low servant, he proceeds to do a job that the lowliest servant does. Wash dirty feet. The one who was supposed to be Captain America, 
the eternal king of David, the one who was supposed to annihilate the enemies of the Jews, the one who John mentioned just recently, currently holds all things, earth, nature, humanity, life itself, the universe in his hands. What does he do? He does something that even the disciples don't do. Wash feet. Revealing to his disciples who God truly is. A God who loves us so much, he's willing to wash the part that always gets dirty in life. A God who willingly loves us to wash us daily. Even wash the parts in our lives that are so dirty that no one else wants to touch. But he is willing to touch it, bear it, and wash it. He is willing to do that on a constant basis. Because, hey, during those times, the feet, they're always exposed to dirtiness. Always, every day, because people walk. It's kind of metaphorical. You walk daily in life, and therefore your feet get dirty. We walk daily in life. We will sin daily. We will sin large sins, big sins, small sins, whatever. But we will sin daily. Yet by the grace of God, he wants to touch it, heal it, save us from it, and wash it clean. Let's move on. John chapter 13, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you all soul should do just as I have done to you. I don't know why that was a tongue twister. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus here defines who really belongs to him. Remember, his own. Those who follow what he does. There are people around us who may not measure up to our standards. We may find them disgusting. We may find them repulsive. There are some who may annoy us and do questionable things that are against our own moral and ethical code. Are we willing to serve them? Are we willing to share their burdens? Are we willing to put aside our interests and comforts and our conveniences to reach out and receive them with hospitality and love? Not too long ago, the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest, i.e. who's the most morally upright, because none of them thought they were capable of betraying Jesus, right? Since they're so good and righteous. They wouldn't fathom to submit to each other and wash each other's feet because that would just make them a lesser being. But Jesus tells them, not only then, but now, that they don't belong to him if they do not follow his lead. Follow this lead, follow me, wash each other's feet, or you do not belong in me. You are not my own. It's not about getting ahead. It's not about winning. It's not about who is more righteous than the other person. It's not about who is greater than the other. It's about how able are we to submit our interests and allow others' interests above ours, to serve and love them. Let's go on. Verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that, so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, sainted entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When Jesus was taken away to be crucified, all the disciples abandoned Jesus. You can say all of them betrayed him. It just so happens that Jesus was the, Judas was the first to do it. Jesus quoted Psalm 41 right in the beginning of this passage where David sang about his close friends betraying him and because Jesus is the paradigmatic king of David, he too is being betrayed by his own friends. In my opinion, when the pastor said, passage said Jesus was troubled in spirit, it was because of three things. And of course, this is my own interpretation. You may have your own. But I think the reason why Jesus was troubled in the spirit was because of three things. Number one, it's human to be troubled when you know that you're heading to the cross. That all of this is now being fulfilled, which means it's a sign for Jesus that things are moving along and his death is imminent. He knows what's going to happen. Everything is falling in place according to God's plan. And because of that, his death is imminent. So, I'm, so I believe that in my opinion, Jesus was troubled in spirit because of that he knows that his death is now imminent. Number two, that he deeply loved his disciples, including Judas. And to know that Judas allowed Satan into his heart, to see that Judas is complicit to Satan's prodding and evil schemes, all this saddened Jesus. Yet Jesus still loved Judas. And hence, Jesus was troubled in spirit. And lastly, Jesus also knew the disciples' hearts. They're still trying to point the finger at each other, yet deep down, they too will betray Jesus, most notably Peter later on. So for me, when I read this passage, what really jumps out at me is how John emphasizes Jesus being troubled in spirit along with a quote from Psalm 41. Psalm 41 was a troubled David, a David who was troubled in spirit because he trusted his friends. He trusted his wise counsel, who he thought were very good friends to him. And yet these friends, his own friends, betrayed him and followed Absalom. And so Jesus, quoting from Psalm, is telling his readers and telling us today that he too was troubled, yet he loved his disciples to the very end. And even though he knew that each disciple will betray him some way, somehow, 
He loves them to the very end and will continue his journey to the cross. See, we will be betrayed as well. People will disappoint us and fail us. People now these days are untrustworthy, and I'm sure many of you have experienced people, good friends, and family members who have failed you many times. That they meant, they want, sorry, they promised to do things, yet they didn't follow through. Instead, many times they do things out of their own agendas. Yet, we are to follow Jesus. We need to love them even though they're ungrateful. We need to love them even though they don't deserve our love. We need to love them even though they're hostile to us. We love them to the very end. We even love those who want to crucify us. Jesus has been there, and he's telling us to follow his lead. And hence, Jesus closes with this in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going you cannot come. But a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let's circle back to the beginning. There are many books on discipleship. I've read some of them, and you probably did too. But I wonder if we sometimes overcomplicate things when it comes to following Jesus. We talk about studies, Bible studies, taking courses, serving in the church, equipping ourselves to serve in the church. That's great. I'm not knocking on that. But in my opinion, sometimes we put these goals and tasks so much upon ourselves that it becomes daunting and insurmountable. And then we give up. See, we may not be able to go to the cross for Jesus. And Jesus understood that. So what did he do? He showed us that it is possible to be his disciple by simply putting others first before ourselves to show kindness and generosity towards those we find repulsive and maybe even threatening. For me, one of the simplest ways to do so is to be the first to genuinely say sorry and in the same breath, forgive without needing the other person to do the same or even say anything or even do anything. We then follow that with an act of kindness towards them. This, I believe, is the best litmus test for all of us to see if we truly belong to Jesus. For those who belong to Jesus, they're enabled and empowered to do such things through his Holy Spirit. See, without his Holy Spirit, we aren't able to love others the way Jesus loves. We aren't able to be the first people to say sorry and to be the first people to forgive and the first people to show acts of kindness towards them at the same time. Because it's impossible to do that. It's impossible to submit ourselves below others and to put aside our interests and put other people's interests ahead of ours. It's only possible through Jesus and his spirit's enablement. So if we do love the way Jesus loves, then we do know that we belong to him. Amen.